Hey, this is Sue Foley, and you're listening to The Northern Report. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, friends. Welcome to The Northern Report. I am your host, Sean Burns, and I'm coming right at you from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Here on The Northern Report, I aim to shine a light on emerging and existing Canadian talent, as well as some of the legends that we're still lucky to have with us. My guest on today's show is Sue Foley. And man, was I ever glad to welcome Sue onto the podcast. She's got a great new album out, and she is truly one of the finest blues guitar pickers on planet Earth. Before we dig into today's interview, I'll take a moment to thank you for all for, for all of your support, for everyone that came to the Times Changed High and Lonesome Club for the grand reopening on Friday, October 22nd. Uh, man, we had a great time. Sean Burns and Lost Country were on stage for three sets, and it just blew by. Of course, I want to thank the band, Grant Siemens, Joanna Miller, Kevin Bell, and John Mushluck. All fantastic musicians and human beings. And we'll be back together in that five-piece formation at the Times Changed on Friday, December 17th. Still keeping things close to home. So for you folks here in Winnipeg, got a lot on deck here in the month of November. Friday, November 5th, Sean Burns and Lost Country will be down in Osborne Village at the Toad, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. show. On Saturday, November 6th, up on McPhillips, catch us at the Four Crowns, 9.30 p.m. start time. On Saturday, November 20th, I'll be rolling solo at Finn McCool's on Grant, 6.30 p.m. start. And we'll rally the troops back up in Lost Country on Friday, November 26th for a 9 p.m. show at Park Alleys. If you haven't been to Park Alleys yet, you gotta get there. What a great spot, and they treat the musicians like gold. We look forward to it. More stuff coming up in December here around Winnipeg, solo, duo, and band, but I'll tell you about that stuff as we get closer to the dates. I think that's all I got for you right now. Uh, the Honky Tonk Times is in full swing. I just got issue seven delivered to the door. I'm, I, get, I get mine a couple weeks late, you know, behind the American uh, readers, but that's okay. You can get your subscription to the Honky Tonk Times at the website, thehonkytonktimes.com, or pick one up at the Ernest Tubb Record Shop should you be down there in Nashville, Tennessee. Enough harassment on my end here. Let's get right into it. And we'll welcome Sue Foley to the Northern Report. Sue Foley grew up in Ottawa, Ontario, surrounded by music and family members who were also cursed with the guitar-picking talent. After graduating high school, Sue headed west to Vancouver, where she spent a couple of years on the coast until transplanting down to Austin, Texas upon the insistence of the legendary Clifford Anton. Since her 1992 debut, Young Girl Blues, on the Antones label, Sue Foley has gone on to record for Shinachi, Ruff, Blind Pig, and Stony Plain records. Sue has been riding a larger wave of success since her 2018 album, The Ice Queen. She won Best Traditional Female, the Coco Taylor Award, at the 2020 Blues Music Awards in Memphis, was nominated for a Juno Award, the Canadian Grammy, and she took home the award for Best Guitar Player at the Toronto Maple Blues Awards. 
The Ice Queen reached number four on the Billboard Current Blues Chart, number one on Roots Music Report's Top 50 Canada Album Chart, and was in the Living Blues Radio Chart for four consecutive months, peaking at number two. Including that win for Best Blues Album in 2001 for Love's Coming Down, Sue is a four-time Juno nominee. Foley also holds the record for the most Maple Blues Awards with 18 wins to her credit. Sue Foley's new record, Pinky's Blues, was released on October 22nd. It serves as a raw, electric guitar-driven romp through the back roads of Texas with Foley's signature pink paisley Fender Telecaster, Pinky, at the wheel. Pinky's Blues is a guitar-driven collection of 12 songs, both original and some of Sue's favorite covers, that demonstrate not only that Sue is one of the world's greatest blues guitarists, but that the sheer joy of playing can be felt through the recording in an emotional thrill for the listener. A vinyl version of the album on Hot Pink provides a dream item for fans, audiophiles, and collectors. Sue is busy with live dates and promotions surrounding the release of Pinky's Blues, but she was kind enough to sit down with me on the phone for a quick chat about her life in the blues and her fantastic new record. Friends, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with the Ice Queen, Sue Foley, on the Northern Report. Good, good. So, so you, you come from a family of pickers in Ottawa. There's lots of uh, there's Celtic music. There's there's rock. There's heavy rock, classic rock stuff going on. How do you find your way to the blues? And when do you find your way onto stages? Um, I found my way to the blues basically through that heavy rock uh, bands like Busy Top and the Rolling Stones, Zeppelin. I I didn't realize it at the time, but I'd been hearing blues probably almost my whole life <clears throat> up until my teens. I, I mean, in some form it was probably played by white kids, but it wasn't until I discovered the early Stones catalog or albums that uh, I discovered people like Muddy Waters and Jimmy Reed, Slim Harpo. Mm-hmm. And after that, you know, after that, I just read a lot about it and found Helen Wolf, found all the chess record stuff and, by the time I was 16, I was doing gigs, <clears throat> you know. <clears throat> in, a, in a little band or you're on your own at this point? Um, in small groups. I started out playing country blues. So I started out on acoustic guitar. I started out in duos and trios, sort of acoustic bass blues stuff, which is really fun to play, pre-war blues. And uh, that's, where I discovered, that's where I discovered people like Memphis Mini. Oh, yeah started doing her stuff, you know, like that early kind of early pre-electric blues stuff. So I did a lot of that in my early days. It wasn't until I was about 18, I moved to Vancouver, and then I got my first solid body electric guitar, which was a Fender Telecaster. The uh, infamous pinky Telecaster? uh, The first one I got was just a blonde, and then the second one was pinky, the pinky that I play now. Is it true that uh, the original Pinky is uh, was a gift by John Scholes? Yes. Well, it, it is and it isn't. Here's the deal. It abs- absolutely is. Did he tell you that? Yeah, that's that's the that's the chatter all, all around. The times changed every time uh, you're coming around. 
uh, well, it's true. I don't know. Always talk about that because, you know, John and I, we lived together at the time and he brought Pinky home. It was either Christmas or my birthday. Cause I, I had, I had expressed a love of it. I think I said, I saw this guitar at Long and McQuaid and I was like, I, I have to have it. So the deal is he bought it for me and paid the first payment and I had to pay it off. So okay. technically, but he did bring it, bring it into the house, which is pretty cool. It's Johnny's birthday today. The perps are playing tonight. I know it is. I know it is. I know it is. I, I wish him a happy birthday online, but I should text him. But yeah. How did you end up in Vancouver? I just moved there, you know, right out of high school, basically. At the time, I, you know, I was already gigging and I, I knew I wanted to pursue a career in blues guitar. As crazy as that sounds for an 18-year-old girl from Ottawa. But, uh, and I wanted to move somewhere. And in Canada, you know, the two biggest sort of cities and scenes that interested me were Toronto and Vancouver. So I decided to go far away. Was there a blues scene? Was there much of a, a scene for you when you were getting started in Ottawa? Oh, yeah. A good scene. Yeah, where were you playing? Really good scene. Well, at the, you know, I started at the Downstairs Club, which is no longer there, but it was, that's where the Blues Jam was, and then played the Rainbow a lot, and there was there was gigs all over town, um, and there was lots of players that came up from Chicago, there was a really fertile local scene, a lot of those people are still friends of mine, like Tony D, and uh, Terry Gillespie, and Heaven's Radio were big, Back Alley John, and Drew Nelson, and I mean, I... I still know all these people, you know, mm-hmm. the ones that are still around. Yeah, yeah. The, the Rainbow seemed like a good spot for touring bands for quite a while. Yeah, and everybody came through there. You know, Albert Collins came through there, Buddy Guy. I mean, you'd be shocked. The t- you know, Coco Taylor, everybody played the Rainbow. It was pretty cool. So you got to see a lot of these acts when you were still a teenager in Ottawa? I got to see a lot of them when I was a teenager. And then by the time I was in the States at 21, I saw everybody who was on the scene at that time. So after a couple of years in Vancouver, you realize you kind of kind of go, got to go to where it's at and you end up in Austin, Texas? Yeah, I, uh, I sent Clifford Antown a, a demo tape and he called me back and brought me down to Austin. When I was, I guess I was 21. For uh, the folks tuned in, primarily uh, a country music honky-tonk sort of focus on the podcast. So could you tell us a little bit about Antone, like what Clifford Antone and that room meant to the community? Oh, it was everything. Antone's nightclub was one of the most famous nightclubs in the country, in the world maybe, for blues, because everybody, everybody was coming out of there and that sound in Austin was brand new. Um, Stevie Ray and the Fabulous Thunderbirds were huge, but there was other people in Austin, you know, people like Denny Freeman and Derek O'Brien and Luann Barton and, I mean, Lavelle White. I mean, all, there was all kinds of stuff. Angela Straley, of course. So there was just a lot going on in Austin. We were all very familiar and aware of the sound down here. That's why I wanted to go there. So you just sent him a tape and he, and he called you up and said, get down here? Yeah. Well, not exactly that, but <laughs> something. He said he he just said he liked my my song that I'd written, the song that I'd written on it, and uh, what was I doing? And I had just gotten off the road, and I said nothing. He said, "Well, do you want to come to Austin?" And I said, "Yeah." 
And then I said, when? He goes, tomorrow. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I left. That was it. And you went down and uh, and you stayed there for, for quite a while. And then you ended up moving back to Canada at some point? Uh, yeah. I mean, we were down in Austin for almost 10 years. Um, and then kind of made my way back to Canada when I had my son. Did you, before you went down to Texas, like, had you done a lot of touring across Canada, like, after when you landed in Vancouver, or were you staying sort of central to there? No, no, we were all over Canada. We we played coast to coast in Canada. We'd been through the prairies several times, been in Ontario a couple of times, been on the island. So, yeah, we were all over the place. So you were already established in Canada by the time you'd moved to Texas? Well, I wouldn't say I was established. Like, I hadn't made an album yet, and I think that's kind of what establishes you when you when you make your first album and luckily for me I, I made my first album in Austin so that established me in Canada right away it was just like that was you know immediate establishment was it like I mean you're 21 year old 21 year old person like uh was it uh like intimidating the move to a new country into a place like Austin Texas with such a rich history you know, I would say yes, but actually, I was so excited. You know, it was kind of everything I'd ever wanted. I was so in love with, with the Austin scene and the sound coming out of there, or here, I should say, because I'm back here now. But um, I wasn't really intimidated. I was just really excited. I bet. I mean, and everything's there. You got yeah. to see all, like all your favorite pickers were probably there or coming through there often. All the time. Yeah, it was it was amazing. So I was just super excited, and and it was a very warm town as far as people's acceptance of me as a player and as a, a part of the community. So I felt very, very welcome. The whole the whole thing in Texas is incredible. It's I mean it's such a large state and there's just a wealth of venues. Uh, it seems like an artist can really carve out a respectable living without ever leaving the state. Uh, you've always seemed really quite busy since you started out. No stranger to the road and touring all mm -hmm. over the world. Uh, after being on the road this long, is it something that you still enjoy doing, or is it like a bit of a necessary evil? Oh no, we still enjoy doing it. Absolutely. What it's, all, it's what it's all about. It's 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 everything really because uh, and when I don't forget when I was coming up, everybody was on the road. Right. I mean that's where you saw everybody, and that's where I had all my formulative experiences was either being on the road as a band or watching a band that's on the road. So formative experience, I should say. Mostly one nighters in those days. Yeah, in the States, it was one-nighters. In Canada, we would stay sometimes a week in each town. Still got the, sort of the tail end of like a six-nighter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we got a lot of that. We we did that a lot. In fact, that's how I learned how to play. Yeah. We really had to play a lot of music. <laughs> we had to play a lot. Yeah, there's just like no comparison to like stage hours as far as progressing on your instrument is concerned. No, I, absolutely. I feel really lucky because we would do those gigs in the prairies. You would have six gigs, but you'd be out on the road for six weeks. So, and you'd be playing six nights a week, three hours a night plus encore and a Saturday afternoon matinee and you'd move on Sunday. So imagine, my fingers used to be raw 
I mean, I remember just being calloused and blistered, you know, the whole thing. And you're out as a trio for the most part in those days, too? Uh, we were a four-piece in the early days. So most of my band, half of my, half of my band was from the Winnipeg area, you know that. Uh, John Penner. John Penner and Lauren Petcow, they're both from Morton. <laughs> and what's it like? I mean, John's back in the fold. Yeah, he's back in the band. It's fantastic. So great. He's my he's my we're, favorite we're just, bass player. We're just like, yeah, he's fantastic. He's just so cool. Like nobody plays like him. That style. Yeah, it's uh, it's Winnipeg is is uh, is quite a quite a situation here as far as the deep pool of talent. It really is. It's got so many cool players there. I just it, we've always we have a long history with Winnipeg and just hanging out know everybody it's just so cool and what john's done with times is just amazing to create that community it's a really unique spot for me in in the whole country but i i get the impression you know i've done you know just mild touring in the united states but it seems like you know there's a there's a room comparable to the times changed in all of the big markets in the united states is that is that fair to say i hope so i mean there's there usually is something like it it's it's really like um, I remember Mike Flanagan said this, and it's so true. He said it's it's not like you you don't really have bars or venues. You have bar owners or venue owners, and it really is that kind of what ties it together to make it a real vibe. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's that whole thing. Like it's it's really about who owns it and how they feel about music. But I've been lucky to know several people, but you know, John's John's right up up there for sure. It's a real special place, you know. It's it's more, it really is more than just uh, you know four four walls and a stage, and uh, and it's always a it's always exciting when you come to town and you've got the new record. Is there any plans on rolling through here next year? Ah, uh, yeah, for sure. We haven't set a date yet. We haven't set a date yet, but we will. Uh, the new record just came out last week. Pinky's Blues. Yes, your your sixteenth release, far far as I can tell. Can you can you tell me a little about a little bit about the like when, how, where you guys made this album? Uh, we made it in Austin, right? Uh, right, actually San Marcos, Texas. So it's about thirty minutes outside of Austin, and we made it about a year ago. It was a late summer, fall, early fall of twenty twenty. We made it on the heels of Mike Flanagan's album. Mike Flanagan produced it, B3 player. And um, he had just made an album. We had gone in and made uh, his album real quick in the same studio. And uh, we did mine about the same way. We just nailed it, you know, just kind of went in there live. Chris Layton on drums, John Penner on bass. Flanagan was producing mine. And plus, he played a little bit of organ. But mostly what you're hearing on mine is just power trio it's just me and the other two guys and you guys are tracking live off the floor for the most part what well, everything is live off the floor that's everything. so great it sounds like it sound, does sound like it sounds like a band playing in the room it sounds like your amp is cranked up and uh it's it's real a real highlight i, I saw some of the videos you got uh some great uh, great content on the youtube channel with the tips and tricks and then there's a little behind the scenes thing something about uh leaving the vocal mic on when you're doing your guitar tracks yeah yeah we were just talking about that because 
the guitar was also bleeding into the drum mics. The drums were bleeding into the vocal. It, you couldn't separate anything. When I think Chris Bell, our engineer, is a bloody genius to be able to mix that. But sonically, the room sounds really good. And we just and you're right, we were cranked. I mean, Chris Layton hits really hard. We played like we were on stage in a bar, probably. I remember last time you were here, you had your amp on a couple chairs pointed at the roof. Yes, that's a trick I learned from Vinny Vaughn. Yeah, and you still do that like in most rooms or just in the in a smaller space? I'll do it in a smaller space, but it really works like a charm, that's for sure. Uh, you've done some really cool covers over, over the years, and I heard an interview where you said that any covers you do have to hit your heart. I really dig. It's a Jimmy Donnelly tune, Think It Over. Is that one the new, on the new record? And uh, you've done some Dylan, Dylan tunes, To Be Alone With You, Positively, Fourth Street. Like, What is it about those songs and those writers that hit you hard enough to want to take a stab at doing your own version? Well, I usually just fall in love with a song and... If I feel like I can do it justice or at least put some of my own spin on it, I'll jump into it. Um, but I just have to love it. I mean, that Jimmy Donnelly song is just so cool. I've loved that forever. Most of the songs on this album I've, I've known a long time and mm -hmm. I've just loved. And I never took the opportunity to just play um, or try to record. But we had some time last year, as everybody did, and we used it to uh, research all this stuff and reconnect with it. And then when it was time to record, I was just like, can I do this? And they'd be like, man, I love this song. And I just show it to Chris and John. And I don't even know if they heard the original recordings of any of these. I think we just kind of played it. And I was just like, here, is it, here it is. I worked it up myself. And then I just play it and they would just jump in. That's It, it really is spontaneous that way. We were not... There's nothing preconceived, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> so it's more about the song. Like, uh, uh, is is someone like Dylan one of your favorite songwriters, or is it just uh, you know certain gems in the catalog? Well, I was infatuated with Dylan for a long time when I first got into songwriting. I I, I don't know how you can't be. Mm -hmm. Honestly, yeah, I, agree. I think when I started to actually when I started to actually pay attention to writing lyrics, which took a few years. Usually, I just my early stuff was just stuff to words to put around guitar solos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and, um, which is okay too. There's nothing wrong with that. But when I started to think about lyrics more and work on lyrical content, Dylan, of course, I do I took a deep dive there because that's important just to know. But I mean, there's so many great ones, but I really, really love what he's, he was about any other favorite favorite writers well for instance on this album angela straley i do two of her songs she's an amazing blues singer and she's out of lubbock texas she she was one of those pioneers of the austin texas blues scene and i you know people know her as a great vocalist real stylized and beautiful and soulful but they not, might not realize she wrote these, she writes really deep lyrics, like really deep blues songs. Um, so I love that. I love her stuff. What does is, what is writing look like for you? Like, are you a, a wake up in the morning write or specific times set aside, or is it just like a spontaneous thing? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of just, if I have to work on something, 
and I'm writing something, I'll I'll do a I'll do a routine. But mostly for songs, I just kind of grab them as I go, mm-hmm. and I file them away, and I'll put like voice memos or little jot down notes, and then they kind of come together on their own. I don't try to overdo it, overwork it. I never feel under the gun to write songs. Like I, I feel like I've, I'm always in the process in a way. Yeah, I feel like in in country music, in in blues music, it's uh, it's like more widely acceptable to do cover tunes or do your own versions of you know friends tunes or or stuff like that. And uh, I don't know, it just allows for a little bit of you know your own interpretation on the material and something I've always enjoyed. You know, trying to track down the original versions of these old songs is sometimes very hard, though. Yeah, I don't think there's any shame in doing covers at all. Like, there's so many great songs out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's so many great songs. There's a wealth of stuff. And, and I don't know. It's just, it's, I just always feel like there's always more to, to mine and discover and rework, too. I really, you know, the Great American Songbook, is the great American songbook for a reason. People go there and dip their toe and dip their toe in that because it's just great. I think blues has its great American blues book kind of thing too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what's in the uh, great American blues book for you? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's a personal kind of thing. I'd have to think about it, but I was just putting that out there. Basically like, the songs I covered on Pinky's Blues were not would not have been standards because they're more deep cuts. So, um, you know, I really tried to take songs that you hadn't heard before and and make them hopefully make them my own. I mean, that's what I that's my intention. It's cool that you kind of just uh, threw through the tunes, some of the tunes at the guys in the studio. Is is that uh, similar to the process of making previous albums, or in, in the past, were you concerned with like hashing shit out uh, extensively before you went in? Yeah, you know, I've worked with different producers, and they all have a different take on things. Uh, Flanagan is really fresh. He really doesn't want things overworked. He's so it's a really fresh perspective mm-hmm. as far as he wanted everything live he's like let's try to get it all at once because then you'll get you'll have the vibe of the whole thing and, and he's right it's not easy to get those takes all at once well there's something to be said for capturing your performance yeah yeah it's true so it's it's really an individual thing i've worked with in in different ways but i i really enjoyed this this time do you enjoy being in the studio making records or do you prefer to be doing it live on stage for people i like both they're both really fun i've le- and i've learned I've, as, as as a rule i'm probably more of a live player but i've learned to love the studio and it's really relaxing uh, how long were you guys in there for when for making this record just three days shit that's great yeah, I mean, we, we we weren't planning on being in there very long, so we had to get it done, you know. We kind of kept a pretty steady pace. How how has your approach to recording and performing live, has it, has it changed much over the years? Mm, not really. I, I pretty much do what I do. I just plug in and play, and that's about it. And that's always what I've kind of always done. 
I mean, we've done different kinds of recordings where I've overdubbed solos and stuff, and that's okay too. I mean, I don't, I don't, but I don't really have. I think if in general, I kind of do what I do, and I've always just done this. So, what's your schedule look looking like here uh, behind Pinky's Blues? Like, uh, you're on the road pretty heavy uh, right now. No, we're. We just did a week and a half of shows to launch the album. Now we're going to go out again in December. We're we're not really hitting anything too hard until next year, to be honest. Are things like uh, uh, settling down down there where you're at, or is it still pretty hot uh, pandemic-wise? You wouldn't even know there's any pandemic down here. It's just wide open, game on. Yeah, game on. That must have been uh, like a... You know, you, you found ways to stay busy, though. You were doing some online stuff and you've got the YouTube stuff going on. Like, I know it was a, it was a kick in, in the, everyone's ass, but uh, was there something positive that came out of the, the time off? There was a lot positive. Like you said, I got all that online stuff done. I got my shop up. We did a lot last year. Yeah. I started my company. I know I, I incorporated my company. I, I did just a, a whole bunch of things I never have time for. Um, really looking into this music to, to get the inspiration for the album, like taking deep listens and relearning stuff. Like when you're on the road touring, you don't have time for all that. Yeah. So I was, I feel pretty lucky. I mean, we did make the best of it. It's, and that's what you got to do in those situations. You got to, I hate to sound corny, but make lemonade out of lemons, as they say, right? And I think we did. We got a great album. We're doing good. We're ready to get get going. We're just waiting for everything to kind of settle settle in, which I think it will. Yeah, it seems like it's uh, you know uh, on the other side of on the other side of things. I also read somewhere you you I don't know if you still are or you were you pursuing a, a PhD. Uh yeah, but I yeah I can't really say much about that right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just a side thing I'm doing. How about yeah. uh, uh, the Guitar Woman? Because you've written articles and organized and promoted concerts, worked on the book that's like sort of fueling a passion for gender studies and music and a desire to bring the work of great women guitar players to light. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the Guitar Woman project? That as well. I'll, I'll be able next time we talk. Well, I'll have a lot to say about that. But it's been in the works for a couple of decades, and. Um, I'm just trying to get a book finished, but I, I, I have to kind of do it on my own time, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm working on it, but right now I'm also really focused on touring this album and just getting out there and playing. And a bunch of stuff uh, on deck for next year. I saw some of the dates for next year. Looks like you're got some stuff up here in Canada. Is it uh, is it much different? You find the audiences up here in Canada versus the ones that you play for in the United States? No, they're all good people. I think it's great. Just like John Skoll says, you're all good people. <laughs> With excellent taste in music. Yeah. Can you uh can you give me a good John Skull story before before you scoot off here today? Oh my god. Oh. Shoot. You know, I'm really bad if you put me on the spot like that. Okay. Let's just say we had a lot of good times on the road. John was out with us on tour for a year a few a few years off and on. So we had a lot of lot of fun times. And he came down to Austin. I know he he modeled uh, the times after Anthems, and I think he really 
took a shine to Clifford Anton and how Clifford ran the club. So I really feel there's like, like this tie between what he's doing and what happened down here. Cause he was really witnessing all that with us. And uh, so it's just special times. And when I go up there, I get that feeling from what he's built up there. That's so nice to hear. And I, you know, I've, I've kind of heard a little bit about that in the past and I never got to, to Antone's. I've never been down there. So it's uh, you know, it's, we're just very lucky to have John and have the club here in Winnipeg. And you know, I, I know uh, I, I was going to say if, if we meet in person and we have a beer, I'll tell you some other stories. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. Off the record. A, d- a bunch of dates behind Pinky's Blues. Uh, is it, Do you think it's important to play? You have such material to draw from over the years. Is it important for you to play a big cross-section of your early work as well as the new stuff? Or what can folks expect when they see Sue Foley here? Well, when they see me now, I'm really focused on the new albums. So I'm, I'm playing almost the entire album, if, if not the entire album. And then it's peppered with a little bit of older stuff, but and maybe a bit of acoustic if I bring my acoustic up there. I try to keep it varied, but I really focus on the new stuff. That's great. Well, hey, congratulations on the record, and thanks for taking a little time here today to speak with me. Thanks, Sean. It was great. I'm glad we got to catch up. Thank you so much, Sue. Okay, Sean, take care. You too. Say hi to Winnipeg. Well, friends, I hope that you enjoyed my chat with Sue Foley. Thanks to Sue for taking a little time to speak with me. Listen to Sue Foley's albums wherever you're streaming music for a nominal monthly fee or check her out at suefoley.com. Follow along with the Northern Report Spotify playlist where you can hear music from the folks that I have covered in the Honky Tonk Times column as well as right here on the podcast. Remember to subscribe, like, follow, share, tell a friend, leave us a rating for the Northern Report. Folks, it goes a long way for the podcast, and I certainly appreciate you taking a moment to do so. Our logo was created by Boots Graham of Boots and the Hoots. Music on the show today, courtesy of Sean Burns and Lost Country, The Divorcees, and Skinny Dick. From local legends to regional stars... To the cream of the Canadian crop, you're going to find it all here on the Northern Report. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll chat later. Hey, bud, uh, what do you got for me? I wish I'd learned to run before she made me crawl.